Hey, welcome back to the DC Beer Show. I'm Richard. I'm here with my good friend. Adam. And uh, we are uh, same place we were last week when we talked to you. We're uh, at Ocelot in Northern Virginia, but we're not talking to Ocelot today. We are talking to Jasper Ackerboom and Travis Tedrow. These are the guys who are behind Jasper Yeast. This is the first time on the show we have talked to somebody in the yeast side of the business. Now, we've talked to a brewery designer at one point, or an engineer. Right. So we've, we've, we've tried to go outside just the straight breweries on the show when we can, but uh, I'm really excited about this because I think yeast is, first, one of the most underrated of the major ingredient, four major ingredients of beer. Um, the science behind it is really fascinating to me, and I've been seeing, and Adam, I think you have too, a lot more brewers talking about using different yeasts to change the flavor and the profile of the beers they're making. So, Jasper, thank you for joining Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Travis, we're so glad to have you here, too. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's kick right into this. You both started in, in, in on the beer side. Um, now, Jasper, you're a microbiologist. Yes. But you came to Jasper, you were at, you were at um, Lost Rhino first. That's before correct. you were here. Yes. And Travis, you were at Gordon Biersch. Yes. As a brewer. Yes. I want to take this this way back, way back. How did you first, each of you, first get interested in brewing and beer and craft beer? Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, this uh, this was a long time ago. I think the first time that I really got interested in brewing was when I uh, was way way back uh, in the, in the, I would say mid nineties. I I, uh, I went to university and uh, I did uh, did some courses at the lab of microbiology. This was a huge lab, and there was one guy there, uh, Wout Middelhoven, who was very into uh, into yeast. Very well-known yeast scientist at the time. Isolated lots of different strains, and I uh, would write papers uh, on those. And uh, there were a couple guys that were, you know, fermenting uh, alcoholic beverages. Uh, there was one guy making really nice wine. There was uh, another guy making beer, and I was like, hey, this... This absolutely makes sense. So this is the the first batch I did was a, I remember very well was a Czech Pilsner that I fermented in one of the cold rooms in the lab that I didn't tell anybody about. Uh, that was the first time I made beer. So this was uh, quite some time ago. Wow. So that's a that's that's a long time. And you got so you got into it from the microbiology side. Yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. And then in the Netherlands, uh, uh, you know, not a lot of people were making beer. And if they were making beer, it was often Belgian stuff. You know, like think about doubles, triples, because that's you know at, at the time it was either you know European lager, scrolls, Heineken, Amstel, or it was Belgian style. So it's kind of all you could get. So yeah, cool. Well, you went back. Far, I'm going to go back even further for uh, how I got started. <laughs> One upping. So um, I knew of craft beer at homebrewing because my parents actually homebrewed when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine. I recall them homebrewing. I grew up in the wow. South, but they are uh, Colorado hippies originally. <laughs> and uh, it was a thing back there in the 70s. And this was, I guess this was like late 80s. Wow. And uh, I vividly remember my dad fermenting in some glass carboys and having the pop explode uh, in the closet. My mom saying no more or moving the basement. So not that I was you know, involved. I, I saw the process. And then, you know, in college, I started homebrewing with a buddy. And that was a fun little, this is something to consider as a little project. 
And it wasn't until a few years after that, in between jobs after college, that I started to meet with a few local craft brewers and just ask how they got started. They all seemed like happy people. I didn't know if it was because they're naturally happy or they enjoyed their work, but it was something that I, I wanted to give a shot. I had a, a mid-20s opportunity to jump ship on one thing, wasn't fully invested in a career. So that's how it kind of got started. But I, I first knew about it as something that you do as just a hobby from pretty far back. And how did that interest in brewing and home brewing turn into an interest for yeast specifically? I mean, uh, well, okay. Jasper, you're a microbiologist. Right. Well, so yeah. You've, you've already, like, like, you got into brewing from that side. Right. But, but in terms of doing this as a business um, and focusing specifically on, on right. your expertise in the in the brewing industry and and the two of you starting Jasper yeast which I know was a long story arc so tell us a little bit about like when you first had the idea for this and then how you got to today so I think I mean uh, Travis and I basically came up with the idea separately and uh, you uh, yeah I was I was working at Cap City at the time so I, I did an internship in 2006 and actually got to meet the, the Y East guys way back then. And uh, it's brewing for a few years. And I, you know, knew that it was actually something that brewers spent money on. I helped start a small little lab at that brewery with another assistant brewer there. And I thought, well, I want to brew, but maybe there's a way to contribute to the community in a way that's not exactly the same as everybody else just starting another brewery. And I reached out to Bill Madden, actually, and said, you know, do you know any lab guys? I want to talk to someone on a higher level that knows more about microbiology, things like that. I knew I needed someone that could really do the hard, hard science or learn, is this realistic? And he connected me with Fabio. And Fabio at the time was the yeah, Fabio Garcia. over at Los Rhino. And he said, I've got somebody that's kind of moonlighting, helping out. He's a PhD microbiologist, does some cool isolations. I mean, you, yeah. you're a volunteer at that point over there. Right, right. I and wasn't really working there. but uh, He connected us at that point. Yeah. We started chatting and just sharing, swapping ideas. That was, when was that? 2011. Yeah, it was a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, that we started, you know casually drinking beers together and discussing possibility right. and then you know maybe a year after that we were both were like oh well, let's make even bigger commitments and get even more experience within the industry before we start this business so Jasper right. left research gig and I left Cap City for uh, Gordon Biersch yeah. and then yeah I joined uh, I joined Los Rhino full-time at the time to uh, start air quality control lab and I was very open with them about it that this was like a I would do that, work for them, but at the same time, get the yeast company started. So this was all very, you know, I mean, it's just figuring out, like, what to do. I really wanted to know what brewers needed. Because obviously, you know, you kind of know as a research scientist what, what, you know, the reactions that need to occur, the organisms you need. But what somebody really uh, on the floor in a brewery needs it's get, could be very different. So, I mean, I really wanted to get that experience. And uh, so I joined that and then, you know, uh, I worked my way up to head brewer uh, after Fabio Garcia left to, uh, to pursue other things, started another brewery. 
And then you at the time, you were you joined Gordon Beers, yeah, and you yeah. worked for them for a while. Yeah, I helped open and, up the Navy Yard store in downtown mm-hmm, D.C. Right. And honestly, I was very excited about working for a bigger uh, brewing company. I, I knew that I would have an opportunity to learn more. Um, I was very impressed with, you know, the guys that I worked for, they had been brewing for 25 years. Right, they were yeah. early craft brew guys that had worked their way up. So they were, you know, they had their boots on. They they were not corporate guys telling me what to do. They were, you know, truly people that were willing to help out. And it was nice to have more resources because sometimes when you're at a small brewery, you know, there's not a, a ton of people that have a lot of brewing experience. And so you're on your own for education. Yeah. You know, yeah. read a book, Google it, take a class, <laughs> do all those things. Um, but it's nice to do that and have somebody that has, you know, decades of experience that you can bounce ideas off of. And even though I was on my own working as the head brewer of that store, regional brewer, other guys, everyone had ideas. It was a nice, it was like a, a light version of coworkers, you know, yeah. coworkers <laughs> that you didn't have to see every day, but right. call whenever you want. And some of them were obligated to pick up the phone. That was a really good setup for <laughs> having nice. independence and having support. So yeah, I learned excellent. a lot there and I mean, still uh, good friends and helpful I, easily asking any of those guys questions and they ask me questions too and, yeah. and then I'm with Jasper as well so it's a it's a good team that they have yeah. and I still feel part of it even though I don't work there anymore cool yeah and, and then after I think after Los Rhino like so obviously we knew Adrian you know mm-hmm. from from Ocelot's Brewing Company and he told us that you know there's a spot opening up you know this that he uh, he was like subleasing or sub renting from this carpet company that was leaving and he told us if you want any place to store your stuff, because we had acquired quite a bit of lab equipment over the years that we, that we had tucked away at a couple of places. Yes, was very good at online auctions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know. Somebody's lab junk is somebody else's lab <laughs> treasure. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, we, we literally loaded up truckloads of stuff. Yeah. And then uh, we brought it all over. Strategically stored throughout the DMV area yeah. until we were ready to strike with our business plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And then uh, we put it all, uh, in, you know, basically uh, in storage at uh, Adrian's like extra space that he didn't need. And then. That's you know in the end he only needed half the space so we could we could take that space so we obviously jumped to that opportunity and yeah. that's that's how it all came together and that's why we we're right next to Ocelot. Yeah, Adrian really helped us a lot. So yep, for sure. Yeah. Does being in a brewery help with the yeast well development or yeast? I mean, well we're right next we're next yeah. to uh, it helps with. There's always a stream of fun industry folks coming through to visit Ocelot. So. Right. Well, it's just the two of us over there, maybe a few other people. Um, we're never wanting for company and people that want to try a beer, bring something over. We have folks bring pick some up. Bit, something over, everybody. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we don't make beer. We only make yeast. So <laughs> we'll give you yeast give us beer. Uh, no, I mean, he's great. It's always a, a fun place to, to yeah. hang out. And there's a lot of breweries that this is their go-to on a Friday. So it's good for us. You know, helps us network and Absolutely. Uh, you know, they're obviously good customers, so yeah, it's to, fun. It's good to stay connected in a way. Sure. Because, yeah, I mean, if you're always yeah, looking definitely. at tubes, uh, things shaking, uh, yeast growing, it is a different world. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, we have to have a, we have a different hat on nowadays, but it's still good to be It's different, but I have to way. say, people ask me what it's like, you know, from decade of just brewing and now working at this lab. I say, well, in some ways, I feel more part of the industry than before because at Brew Pub Brewer, you're in this little bubble of, you're in... You know, 500 square feet in a restaurant, brewing by yourself with a lot of people that aren't as invested in the beer or the process as you are. 
And on this side, we're every day talking to brewers and trying to help out. So uh, for that side, yeah. it's some parts of it are more social yeah. and more in the brewing industry than when I was actually brewing. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a home brewer. So every time I brew a beer, I have to pick a yeast to go with it. So I have a little bit of an idea of the importance of yeast. But if you are going to explain to someone who likes beer but, but doesn't understand right. the whole like process of brewing yeah how important the yeast is to the beer how would you explain that i mean it's yeah. the most important thing <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it's the only important no it's not the only important thing it's you know it's like the electricity right if you you can buy like a certain device if you know electricity nothing's going to work so right. we're putting you know, as a brewer, you're going to put it all together. In the brew day, you're doing all the stuff you need to do, you know, with the grains and the hops. And then basically you hand it over, put it in into your fermentation vessel, and then hand it over to the yeasts. And then, you know, the yeast will take it from there. And if the yeast will actually turn that sugary liquid that you produced and turn that into beer. So it's very it's it's a it's a it's a really a one to one relationship you're gonna have with your yeast. I mean it's very important. It's it's not just an ingredient. It's a living organism, and it needs to be treated with with respect. And it's not yeah. So it's, I mean it's it's hard to explain. I would say. I mean everything is important, obviously in brewing. You know if you leave one thing out, it's it's gonna affect everything. But yeast is really truly that. You, you, the brewer literally hands it over to the to that organism, and it's kind of hands off from that moment on. So it's it's the yeast will finish it up, you know, what the brewer starts yeah. in a way. What do you think, Travis? I know I think that's accurate. It's um, even for people that are brewing professionally, it, it's still a, a challenge and a, a topic and subject of constant confusion. Education is needed, um, you know, because yes, uh, you put put it over to the, the yeast wool. And in many ways, people are putting it by the yeast. They're putting that responsibility on us. So there's some pressure on our side to make right. sure everything works out. If, um, you know, we, we try to stay ahead of the curve and give people notes on how to treat a certain yeast, what type of beer you're brewing, make right. sure that it's the appropriate amount, make sure the temperature is the right um, you know, set point for what you're trying to make. So there's a lot of, um, you know, I don't know education that i think is part of what we do we're not just selling an ingredient and then gone okay yeah Call that's absolutely not else. how it it's is a, you know? it's a before you buy there's a conversation during and after there's should be a follow-up yeah and we're always learning as well because right. people are using yeast in new ways than even a few years ago it's actually yeah. gained more relevance for certain styles more so now than oh, five yeah. six years ago i would say yeah no absolutely for the hazies things I, like that yeah i was yeah. gonna i'm gonna ask I, w I wanted to ask about that because we uh we've been doing the podcast now for two years adam and i uh and he's adam's been a brewer for over 20 years yeah and one of the things nice. that we've seen over the course of doing this show for two years is a lot of the brewers we talked to you know when we started Every, all the brewers we were talking to were talking about trying new hops and all these new hops coming out and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, hop, 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 hop. And that was really interesting. And there was a lot of cool stuff happening. And now we're talking to brewers who are talking more and more about brewing with different yeast strains and really bringing the yeast in and trying different yeasts to create different flavors. Um, and is, you guys are definitely seeing that too, right? Like it's... For sure. It's, it's, uh, it's exciting because I think... Um, 
that I mean, hops are great and 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 most people who enjoy we mentioned this earlier most people who really enjoy craft beer but aren't like in the scene or whatever um really always think about hops and and uh i think it's it's interesting that you guys are coming in at this time when this there's this new interest in how yeast can change flavors of beer have have what are some of the 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 questions that you're getting from brewers about about yeast and and what they can do with yeast uh that you think might sort of this is a difficult question, I know, but you think might, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, premeditate, presage, like l- looking forward, like Inform, what are some of the, yeah. one of the, some of the things you think are going to, we're going to start seeing in new styles of beer that are, that are based on the kinds of yeast that people are asking for, or looking for, or interested in these days? Tough question. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's hard because it's basically, you're asking us, uh, it's, I mean, the one thing that's really changed over the last few years is like how fast trends come and go in the brewing industry, mm-hmm. like in, the, in you know basically the you know the craft brew world. I would say, I mean, uh, it was all about like very hoppy, very bitter, very clear India pale ale, ales, and then all of a sudden the hazies became very popular, and all that went overboard, mm-hmm. and people were very strongly against you know using any artificial ingredients or anything that was not like Reinheitsgebot like and now it's like lactose in everything you know vanilla <laughs> and everything yeah. and it's i mean there's nothing wrong with it it's just changes really that occur and also the boundary between beer not beer is really you know something that's been moving mm-hmm. uh, it's just really difficult i think the one thing that's always true and that is maybe something that's more behind the scenes but it's maybe in, in, like interesting to a consumer as well it's like you can have a yeast that's phenomenal, that gives like fantastic flavor, uh, but it's so difficult to work with that nobody wants to touch it. Right. It needs to be easy to work with. It needs to be reliable. It needs to, you know, be able to handle. To it needs to be like uh, uh, an organism that can take a little bit of a beating, a little bit of a, an abuse. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, breweries like brewers are abusive in their relationship with yeast honestly <laughs> that, that's and, pretty standard throughout yeah. the last 10 plus years of brewing it's just now that i think brewers have even more demands on right right what, what the attenuation now i feel like that wasn't as much a part of a conversation for ipas eight years ago as it is now now they realize they want a certain bo- residual sweetness or body for a, right to make it a hazy ipa or they want a certain attenuation for a saison things uh, like that and, but, but the, the thing that did change i think over the last 10 years is that 10 years ago a lot of people that were actually behind the wheel like the, the war jockeys that are on top of the you know the brew deck uh, making it all happen had some uh, there were, were people that had maybe i wouldn't say more experience or more education but since the market has exploded so much and there's a couple you know there's a lot of breweries that are very successful uh, that, that there's all these people coming into the industry. There's a lot of changes going on, a lot of like new ideas, but also people with uh, who have like maybe you know like uh, like I do uh, less of a brewing uh, education coming into this industry. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there's like setting expectations. You know, yeah. what is possible? What can you do? You know, what, I yep. don't know. What so, do you yeah. think? Oh, I, I agree. I mean, there's it's probably happened back then as well, but people will dream up a recipe and say, right. I want these things to happen based on nothing other than they want it to happen and not the reality of 
well, is this possible with the ingredients that you're using? <laughs> right. Is yeah. it possible with the yeast and you know its ability to tolerate that type of alcohol, and you know that whole process? And, and they want it to happen in seven days. You know, yeah. so yeah. that's a lot of the value of our experience is tempering that with the reality of it can it can happen. It might work out. It might take six weeks. Do you have that time? If not, yeah. this is not the best project. You know, <laughs> right. Th- consider tweaking it to something realistic if you want to have this on tap in three weeks. Yeah. Well, let, th- those let conversations add, happen. I want to bring this down and make it a little bit, because a lot of our listeners are not experts. Sure. Um, and they can tell you what, you know, what malty tastes like. They can tell you what hoppy tastes like. What does yeasty taste like? I mean, what, what are the flavor profiles that the yeasts so are often bringing yeah. um, to to a beer that, like, in particular, like you know, some, uh, that that people would would recognize as coming from from yeast, um, because I think that's one of the things that people struggle with the most. If you like beer, you can tell, mm-hmm. you know, if the, you can tell right. if you if you're if you're familiar enough to have tried enough beer to be able to go, oh yeah, this is Citra, you know, on, on the hop side. But but people don't know, and they'll take a sip of beer and they'll have no idea what those what profiles no, came from yeast. I mean, uh, do you want to take this? Sure. I mean, it, it's a huge range of flavors. Right. Everything from muted, clean, to uh, banana, clove, fruity, spicy. You know, a lot of your saisons have that spicy phenolic character. And that's a yeast. And that's a yeast. It's a yeast derived, yeast created aroma. Nice. Yeah, and the yeah. banana and hefeweizen is. Hey, that's, sure. hey this, this is yeah. the guy hefeweizen guy right <laughs> he here. He tells me the beginning. I was like, that's guy. why I don't <laughs> think it's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he won. Travis won uh, gold at uh, GABF for the hefeweizen. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And, and uh, that's uh, a lot of that is process, but it was process making sure that that yeast strain performed in that way because what people don't realize is. One yeast can produce numerous flavors depending on how you handle it, whether you underpitch, overpitch, mm-hmm. cooler temperatures, warmer temperatures. Right. Uh, a lot of those flavors are expressed more at the warmer temp range. Mm-hmm. If you underpitch, you can get a little bit more flavor out of a, a Belgian. Yeah, and it's actually yeast is actually more sensitive. And you, Jasper, you mentioned earlier that brewers will abuse yeast um, because people don't necessarily like think about how treating yeast affects the flavors as much as they think about how treating hops. Right. But yeast can have a much, yeast has, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, cause you're the experts not thinking about the yeast properly can, can more affect the flavor of a beer than, than dry hopping too long or doing other little things. Cause if you, if you miss the yeast and don't handle it right, you get a whole different flavor profile. Well, yeah, mostly I, different. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you're, if you're pitching, I mean, yeah. outside of like just doing different things with healthy yeast, pitching unhealthy yeast is, yeah, you know, yeah, big time flaws easily noticeable in the flavor, absolutely quality yeah. of that beer. I mean, it's it determines you know a huge amount of that flavor temperature. Uh, there's, there's yeah. too many things to say about how important that is to keep it healthy and talk about abuse. Yeah. It's tough because you know brewers are brewers and they're under limited manpower to sure. manage and keep things healthy but yeah. it's often storing yeast that's what what's the most challenging part for brewers is keeping it healthy making sure that that works and then repitching because unlike wineries distilleries breweries for the most part practice cereal repitching which mm-hmm. is great but it requires more expertise in my opinion yeah, yeah, than working more. at those other types <laughs> yeah. of harder absolutely. to keep it clean producers. if you're harvesting and repitching yeah, it's, yeah, oh, it's way more at stake yeah. 
Um, yeah. and, and then and just to, just to reiterate for the listeners, because the Hefeweizen was the answer that I think that fits it most. Like Hefeweizen has a very a good Hefeweizen has that particular banana um, um, flavor, and that is yeast derived. So if you want to know how yeast affects flavors, have a good Hefeweizen and a bad Hefeweizen. <laughs> And, Bel- and often it'll come down to yeast. Belgian wit, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What I'm drinking right now. You right. know, I, I brewed one without, it's often known for having spices. Brew one with a nice traditional wit strain without spices. And honestly, it's, it should be somewhat similar. If yeah. pitched appropriately, right temperatures, it, you're going to create very similar flavors. Yeah. And again, traditionally in Belgium, the amount of spices they would add was extremely, extremely low. So you really had to look for it. And you probably would pick it up, you know, maybe after one glass. You know, it's like. It's not something that you taste and put it in your mouth. It shouldn't be like Coca-Cola, you know. You yeah. drink it. Oh yeah, there. That's where it is. I mean, it's sometimes like less is more in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I know like Ocelot brewed a beer where they brewed the same beer, but one had an ale yeast and one had a lager yeast. And as a home brewer, I've till recently I had no temperature control. Okay. So I've brewed with lager yeasts, but I brewed them at ale temperatures. Right. Because that's all I could maintain. And it really changes the flavor of the beer using that different kind of yeast. I mean, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, that's a real, I mean, it, it, it's a way of <laughs> changing your beer. Yeah, it's, there are not many beers out there, I think, where that's been done. Yeah. So, like, you got you got you got places like Astrolab and Silver Spring, right, who are right. producing the same beer with completely, you know, the exact same malt bill, the exact right. same oh, yeah. yeast, and all they're changing. The only change is the hop, right? Okay. So there's the hop at the boil, and then they're dry hopping with the same. It's a single. They're making. They call it No Mates, and it's a single hop beer. And they'll, they produce versions with different, you know, the, the citra version and the mosaic version, right. these other versions. It's really right. interesting to go and order a couple of those and taste everything pretty much the same except the hop and how the hop, because you can narrow down like how that hop is, right. it really affects the flavor of the beer. There's not as many places that doing do that, that with, with yeast, yeast, but it's interesting yeah. that I saw it. Yeah. It's something that we've uh, considered not for a public space, but we're going to do some small batch fermentation for experimentation, right. working mm-hmm. on new strains. And that's one thing that people always are interested in. Maybe it's less sexy than different hops because hops for will forever be, you know, one of They're the sexy. coolest <laughs> in, ingredient oh, yeah. in beer. But learning about the nuances and differences of yeast strains. Yeah. Yeah. Same word, lightly hopped, different strains. And now you can really tell the difference. Yeah. I, I don't know. For a brewery, I don't know how interesting that would be to have full, huge, full-size batches right. with a bunch <laughs> exactly. of different. But for very, very small, mini ferments, yeah. every brewery, at least every brewer and home brewer, would love to. I try mean, that we out. did something similar like that with uh, Chris Jakes at Quattro Goomba. Remember when we had the three different saison strains? Yeah, and we used one of them was actually a saison yeast that we isolated ourselves from Virginia, which was my favorite. It was really, really good. And it was like he had at the time three little tanks to his disposal. And now, actually, I think two of them went into the disposal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did we take them out? <laughs> no, we didn't take them. I threw them away. But I think they got, you know, like there's only one left. But uh, that was a cool project. You know, yeah. that's that's always something. And then people will sit there, they will try it, and they're like, ah, oh, huh, yeah, now I, I get it. You know, now I can see what you're saying. It's, uh, yeah, it's nice. Yeasts are small. They're out of sight and it comes out of yeah. mind for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Well, let's, I want to talk about, I want to talk science for a minute because I like science. I'm a big science guy. I want to talk about 
what you're really doing, help, help listeners understand, we've, you've mentioned a couple of times isolating yeasts. So tell, right. talk, let's talk about what that means when you say you're isolating yeasts. And let's talk a little bit about some of the interesting, uh, non-traditional, I'll call them non-traditional places that you've isolated yeast from. But let's start, start by explaining what, what we mean when we say isolating yeast. So isolation basically means like, uh, you know, setting apart, right? It's taking it on its own. So uh, what we've done in the past is uh, we've gone out, we've gone to, you know, either outside to specific locations or took, took like organic material, uh, material where yeast might be present. And then what you do is like you take a little bit off the, like of that material, inoculate it in a specific media where yeast can uh, enumerate. So the yeast goes in there. There's all kinds of other organisms in there. There's mold in there. There's bacteria in there. And then this media is then designed kind of like, you know, the recipe is something that yeast really likes. So you hope that the yeast will grow more than anything else. And then what you do afterwards is you streak this out on uh, solid media on, 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 on agar plates. And then you pick single colonies and then you grow those up, and, you know, in, in pure cultures. And then you try them in small amounts of wort and see if they are successful. And that's basically how you do a... You know, in very you know, like a yeast screen, basically for something to see if you can find a yeast. And then we we did this for so um, so. Sure. I, I want to I want to summarize Absolutely. that really quickly. So essentially, what you're doing is you're taking a sample of a yeast heavy, but a microbiologically complex uh, number of, of of organisms. Right. And then and then through a process of of yes. selection. I just pulling out just a single yeast strain from that or sorry, individual yes. yeast strain or strains right. from that. So that what you end up with is essentially a homo- homogeneous yeast colony that has no other bacteria, no other kinds of yeast in there. And that's the isolation process, right? That's the isolation process. Yeah. yeah. So okay. if you have this homogeneous culture, uh, then you have this, I mean, you could have, and th- this is something that I, we always say, like, you need to leave to a professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, um, obviously, there's all kinds of homebrew forums where people are doing similar stuff. But uh, you just want to make sure that you, you know, you, because, uh, you know, if you don't know, you might grow like E. coli. And the, the last <laughs> thing you want to do is like drink E. coli, end up at the <laughs> ER and, uh, you know, sit on the toilet for uh, 24 hours. <laughs> so, you know, leave it to the professionals, I would right. say. But either way, like, yes, you get like a pure culture, like a pure yeast culture or uh, several. And actually, we've done this for another brewery not that long ago. And then uh, you try that culture in like wort and see what happens, mm-hmm. basically. Basically, what we were just describing, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yes. with unproven strains instead of strains that you kind of know the result. It's randomly selecting pure strains and right. then doing mini ferments to see same wort. What you like at that point, it's you know just trial and error <laughs> with, with, crash with, yeah. with hopefully you know likely good some, stock. Some, some, yeah, okay. Yeah. So it is trial and error, and uh, we've done all kinds of you know samples like mm-hmm. where we sampled mm-hmm. we. The most famous, I would say, is uh, when I was at Los Rhino, we did like this uh, this whalebone where we got yeast from. I don't know if you heard the story. Yeah, a little bit, but tell our listeners about so, it. So, I mean, this is like, I, at the time I was uh, working at uh, at Howard Hughes Medical Institute and I made the switch, you know, around that time to to, to Los Rhino. Jason Osborne, who's uh, uh, he used to work at uh, Howard Hughes Medical Institute as well, 
was like basically a professional paleontologist uh, who was an engineer at HHMI. So he had kind of two hats. And he would dive in these dismal swamps. And this is actually an accurate name. They are called dismal swamps. In it's not Virginia. an opinion. It's not an opinion. <laughs> I mean, it, you, you couldn't see, uh, I would say, five inches in mm-hmm. front of your face. And uh, the, the current would be really strong. And what he would do is would go in there and he would find all these you know, historical artifacts, uh, fossils, because nobody wants to go in there. And there's all kinds of weird, you know, big, large animals in there too just <laughs> snapping snakes, turtles snakes. Snakes. oh snakes, yeah. crazy i mean the guy's crazy but he does that and he finds this you know protocetus whalebone brings it back up it's basically a whale that had legs mm-hmm. he said ah oh, can you isolate yeast from this and i was like absolutely not you know there's no <laughs> yeast living on bone there's no organic material there it's all cleaned off this was at the time when it was in the calvert museum it was on display mm-hmm but I was like, well, you know what? We'll go there. We'll streak that bone just to prove you wrong. And we did that. We streaked it. We, you know, uh, we grew something up and there was yeast on there. And then I was like, all right, there is some colonies here, but it's probably not going to ferment. So, you know, you, 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 can, you can still be wrong here. And then actually the, we, got an, uh, we got a yeast strain out of it that, was, uh, that fermented aboard uh, pretty well. It couldn't go to really high gravity, but... Uh, uh, I mean, if it, it it most likely was like from the swamp or from, you know, like <laughs> less from moment. the whale and more oh, from like the environment. But right. it's still it was a really really neat strain, and uh, you know it it, it uh, you know created a, a little bit of buzz and a lot of press. So it was good for us, but yeah, that's <laughs> the most crazy place where we actually isolated yeast. That say. is that is cool. I want to get. I mean, so we're talking microbiology, right? Now, yeast is a fungus. A lot of folks are yes. bringing some bacteria into beer. Oh, yeah. Are you guys working a lot in, in Brett's and, and those? Well, Brett's is actually is a yeast as well. Oh, it's sorry. It's a different, <laughs> uh, different kind of yeast. But uh, yeah, so I mean, this is like the wilder fermentations. And we do, uh, we do have uh, lacto strains mm-hmm. that, uh, that people acquire from us. And we do have Brettanomyces yeast as well, yeah. So interesting. And how many, how many strains are you guys, do you guys now have on, in stock? Just to give this, I want. I know the answer to this question, but I want listeners to take a step back and like think about how many different kinds of hops there are and the different kinds of grains. How many kinds of yeast can you now provide to breweries? I would say about three hundred at the moment. Yeah. I mean, we try to keep it to a smaller number than that. Just, <laughs> make it, just make it gets feasible. Crazy, you know? Make it feasible, yeah. but still, no, that's I don't that's think like we have that many listed, but we do have that many yeah. that are yeah. in our library. So. You have to know the secret. The secret handshake, the secret <laughs> knock to get that, the extra list. But yeah. that's, a, I mean, that's, that's, that gives you, that should give listeners like a sense of just how complex uh, what you guys are doing right. are and how complex it can be for, from a perspective. huge number of flavors you can yeah, get yeah, from yeast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's really fascinating to me. So, do you provide yeasts just to breweries? Or do you provide it to home brewers as well or homebrew shops? It's 99% commercial breweries at this point right there's a, a couple homebrew shops in leesburg there's one shop with cattles and grains that we uh provide to it's kind of a hit or miss if we're there uh but so, yeah we we do stock sometimes use there it's and, uh, uh i mean it's more of a kind of a business model than any, any anything right. else yeah. we're, we're basically focusing on the commercial side but we're glad to start doing more for the homebrew world um it's tough you know, for, for our limited it's, time yeah. and resources. It's it's good the way that we're 
working, you know, Provocations Now, focusing on, mm -hmm. and we, we were both, you know, most recently professional brewers, so that's a lot of our networking community, less so right. uh, the homebrewer side, so it was easier to start business with that community first, and that's a, makes sense, right? Right. Um, and so it's just kind of moved on from there, but it's, it's okay. that along with, you know, possibly opening up a small space to the public for samples with exotic strains. That's something that we consider down the road. I mean, everybody has plans for what they would do next, uh, you know, right. more concerted effort, getting our yeast strains to homebrew shops is part of it, but it's not immediate right now. I got okay. a quick follow-up. Do you, how much of what you're doing and the, and the, and the, the customers you're serving are outside of sort of the D.C. metro area? And, and, and how far has your reach gotten sort of across the country and even across the world? I mean, I, I mean it's across the country, but it, you know, the numbers drop precipitously right. you so know, it's as you get out there. But okay. a, lot of, a lot of Virginia, a lot of Maryland, a lot of D.C., but there's New Jersey, there's Florida, there's a little Colorado, a little California. For sure, um, you know, the best customers are the ones that you can say hey to and have a beer with. Sure. Those are all closer <laughs> to us. If we had more time, we would be hanging out more with uh, folks all over. So that's more of a product of where we are, where we live. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's easier to take care of and people. You, and you're relatively you know new. Like, how long have you, like, actually been, like, in business providing product to customer? I point. mean, uh, for quite a while. I mean, I think it was uh, when it was, uh, 2013 or so. But that's yeah, like but really full time, full time gig. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm. That's different. what I'm. Full time, yeah. full time. Last I mean, year and change. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that okay. so it's been like full time. Like this is what you guys are doing every single right. day. Yeah, I mean, you you left has been, Lost been pretty, pretty cool. Year, pretty year and a half ago. Uh, uh, think longer than that. Yeah. Right? I, I'm coming up almost on a year. Yeah, but it's still, it's so, so that's yeah. what so I that's, mean. Like, that is pretty fresh. Flying, you know? yeah. Once you get yeah. older, time is oh, hard Oh, don't. Tell. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was like, is, this, is it yesterday? Yes. <laughs> well, as a home brewer, I mean, Y Yeast, White Labs, those are the big ones that we use. There are some smaller ones, too. Right. Where you can get yeast from. What do you bring, I guess, that those major yeast providers don't? I feel, not to brag, but I feel like we have, even though we're one of the younger labs, I feel like we have more professional brewing experience than many, many labs mm -hmm. open, even mm -hmm. the older ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. hands down. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's really invaluable. Yeah, I would say invaluable. that first, uh, and then science background. I, I think even on the science side, you have a lot of more experience than some people that have started some labs. That's not true. to name names, but Jesper's yeah. been... Working on, on the bench top for twenty five plus years. Too long, right? <laughs> pouring plates like in my really sleep. good at pouring plates. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, and experience you know, on the ground, and you know, a passion for it. Right. Mm -hmm. People can always ask. You know, like we we try to be very open about everything. People can always ask about if they have issues. Not not just yeast related, but you know, they have a certain brewing question. They can always ask, and right. you know. No, I think that I think that that connection to brewing right. is is really critical because it's oh, not, yeah. you know, it's if you if if you understand outcomes and you understand the product that your ingredient is going to be used for right. better than most, then then you can provide that advice to brewers and you can talk to the brewer about what are you trying to achieve and actually what you might be looking for is this, not that, um, and help them understand that. That's 
it's a lot better than larger companies who I won't, I won't name, but who, you know, the, be- the best they can offer is sort of a chart that says, oh, you know, if you're making this, use this. Right. right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that certainly helps if it's just going to be a impersonal online interaction. Yeah. Uh, but we actually, on our website, we say, give us a call. Yeah. You know, let's talk about it. We would like to know somebody. And it's easier to filter through what, what the mission is and what they're trying to brew. Yeah. Uh, right. Going that, that avenue. Excellent. Jasper Ackerboom, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Travis Tedros, thank you both. These are the guys who have made Jasper Yeast possible. And we've talked to so many brewers who are using your products yes, and are nice. so Excellent. thrilled. Nice. Really excited <laughs> to have you in the community because um, it opens up so, a world of possibilities to, to brewers to, to really create uh, what they're hoping to achieve. Uh, yeah, in even beer. home brewers, I think using the. I mean, I use imperial yeast now. I use bootleg. Yeah, um, it just gives you a fresher. Hey, it's great to have more options, interesting yeah. yeast. Oh, yeah. 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 Those are good yeah. guys too. Well, thanks yeah. for being on the DC Beer Show, and as always, always drink great beer. Mm, sounds That's right. Good. <laughs>